Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Tros, we made a direct voyage to Samanthras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside. We were supposed, we were supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, the Lord come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour, of the night and washed their wounds. And as he was baptized, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great conversion stories in which we're going to take a look at. And we're going to see that. Uh, there's a lot of same characteristics of our own salvation stories with these three individuals. 
And Lord, I pray if there's not someone in here who has not received you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that today would be the day, that today would be the day that you would open their eyes and they would see you as who you are, the Savior and Lord. Father, I also want to pray just now for our government and the situation that we're in. Lord, I pray that humility would reign in our leaders and not selfishness or pride or an arrogance, but a humility that would look to others more important than their own agendas and selves. Lord, would you give them uh, wisdom and insight on how to uh, compromise in keeping our country safe as well as letting those in who, who need the love and security that the United States can provide them. So, Lord, I pray that you would put uh, people around filled with your spirit and formed by your word around our president and those in um, Congress, uh, again, to sway them to do good unto others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. All righty. We are full bore into 2019. I don't know how your year has kicked off. Uh, for us, it is, uh, we're already blowing and going, the Santinis. We are moving and shaking, rocking and rolling. And, and really, usually after Christmas service and after Christmas Eve, uh, usually there's a little lull of two weeks within our body, within church. This is a natural uh, flow of the church calendar where people kind of refresh and, and regroup and maybe not come to church. But over the last couple of weeks, we've had some great momentum. The Lord has really blessed us, and Brandon and Tyler have done a great job of, of encouraging us in a couple of ways. One, to, to live is Christ. And then Tyler from Philippians told us to, to press on towards the goal of Jesus Christ. And I just want to kind of jump on that a little bit. And my prayer for, for the crossing for us, or one of my prayers, is that we would live for Christ, that we would press on through being a witness, through evangelism in the year 2019, that every one of us in here who names the name of Christ would impact an individual, would make a disciple, would share their faith and see a non-believer come to faith in Jesus. That is my prayer, that every single one of us would see that happen this year. That this congregation would double in size because of the Lord's goodness and because of your witness, your testimony. That you would be a good ambassador, that I would be a good ambassador to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So naturally a question arises as we look in our circles of influence, like what is the type of person that will believe in Jesus? Well, what's the Christian type? What, what characteristics? Uh, what things, what indications might say, hey, that person, hey, that, they're, they're a candidate for Jesus. Who, who would that be in your life? Are there, are there any such things as Christian types, tr- Christian traits? I don't know, I don't know about you, but you probably had this experience when you, when you share Christ, you're sharing the gospel with someone. They're like, oh, don't, you don't, you don't need to share that with me. I'm not the Christian type, right? Anyone ever hear that? Or I, I, I'm not very religious. Well, as we'll see in scripture, there are no types. There is no Christian type. There are no characteristics that will say, oh, that person will come to Christ, but that person wasn't. It just doesn't exist. The better answer is this. If you're a human being, If you have been created in the image of God, then you have the ability or likely to become a Christian. And that's what the book of Acts highlights. In fact, the book of Acts highlights more conversions than any other book in the Bible, probably, in the New Testament in particular as well. And what we see is there's not one type. We're going to see that today. Today we're going to see three people come to faith. 
through the proclamation of Paul proclaiming the gospel, we see that Jesus and the power of the gospel rushes in and transforms three individuals. The gospel comes in and breaks the darkness and brings them to light, life, and salvation. And I believe many of us in here are going to be able to relate to one of these three characters in the story. And not only us, we see us and our characteristics and how we've come to Christ relate to these characters, but also it's going to help us look in our circles of influence of the people that we know and, and how we say, oh, this person is like Lydia. This person is like the slaver. Oh, this person might be like the jailer in the warren. And it's going to give us encouragement that if God saved these people, there's hope for them as well. And so let's look at Acts chapter 16 together. And first we see type number one, Lydia. In Acts 16, verse 11 through 15. Now we know that uh, in the context, Paul and his guys are on their second missionary journey. And now the, they, Paul wanted to, go to, wanted to go east to Asia, but the Holy Spirit stopped him and said, no, you're not going to Asia, you're going to Europe. So he brings them to this silly, uh, city, Philippi, which is a very wealthy and prominent and influential city in the ancient world, mainly because of the mining industry there of gold and copper. But also, it was, it was, it was on the, the, the Ignatius Highway. That was like the first highway that connected east from the west. Uh, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. And if any of you guys have lived in Tucson or, or, or Southern California or Texas or Georgia or, or those lines, there was a, there was a freeway called I-10, right? Anyone know I-10? Freeway I-10? Okay, good. I-10 goes basically from the Pacific to the Atlantic. One continuous road. And this is what, was happening here. Philippi was on this Ignatius Highway, which was amazing. It was the first freeway that would connect the east from the west. So this is the first time in history that people had freedom to travel long distances. For, for businesses, you could market and export your, 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 your product to uh, uh, basically not around the world, but to this great span and have more buyers and interest. So it's an expansion of growth, this freeway. So this is why Philippi was wealthy, because it was right on this freeway. And so we see in Acts chapter 13 that this freeway helped Paul and his group get to this city called Philippi. It says, on the Sabbath day, they went outside to the gates to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down, spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So what happens is, 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 is Philippi is a, is, is a Roman colony. It's not, there's not a lot of Jewish uh, people there. So usually what, and Paul's, the way they would go about uh, planting churches is they would go to a city, look for a synagogue, and then that's where they would start. Well, they went to Philippi and there's no synagogue. In fact, there's not only no synagogue, but there's no, there, there seems to be no men who are, who are there. So there's no one even meet in their houses who are Jewish or fear of God. And so what we see here is, is in that time, if that wasn't, you would go to the certain place down by the river on the Sabbath and hopefully you would find someone there worshiping or praying. And this is what he does. Paul and his people go there to this river and they find some women. Some women having a Bible study, a prayer group. And what happens is the Holy Spirit highlights one of these ladies. There's a multitude of women there, but he highlights one, this woman named Lydia. It says, the one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. So who is Lydia? And this is where we're going to start to think as we go through these individuals. See if some of these characteristics don't resonate with you. It's like, oh yeah, that was me. So Lydia was from Thyatira, again, another leading city from the ancient world, probably modern day Turkey. And it was also very wealthy. 
It was also very influential. And the reason why is because it was, it was, it was home to the kind of like the fashion industry, the, the maker of purple goods. Purple back in that day was the, the color of wealth, the color of riches, the color of kings and queens. And so this is where the kings and queens and those who are noteworthy would go to, to get their, their goods, their clothes, etc., from this place called Thyatira. And so this again was another big metropolis city in the ancient world. And this is where Lydia was from. So what we see is that Lydia, goes from Thyatira to a big city, to Philippi to another big city. She's a big city woman. She likes the big city. You're not, you, you wouldn't find uh, Lydia on FarmersOnly.com looking for a date, right? She's a big city woman. And so not only that, it's, it's she, it says she's a seller of purple goods. She's a, she's a businesswoman. She has a business. She, she has a business in, in selling clothes to the rich and famous, selling her clothes to the kings and the queens. She had a, she had a following. So, you know, she would be like, um, uh, on the red carpet, the, uh, when they say, well, who are you wearing to the actresses, the entertainer? They would say, like, I'm wearing clothing by Lydia, right? She, she would ran on the streets of Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive, the epicenter, of luxury fashion lifestyle. This was Lydia. This was part of her backstory. So she was wealthy. We, had, we see that she owns her own home as well. But not only wealthy, but she was wise. She was a wise woman. And not only did she was wise, but she, she was a widow probably as well because there's no mention of her husband. If she was married in the way they write in ancient days, that, that her husband would be mentioned. But there's no, no mention of the husband, so she's probably a widow. So that means she's also pretty tough. She has a tough exterior. To be a, a, a single woman there, you know, you had some families, had a household, you had to be tough because it'd be very easy to, for you to be taken advantage of, not to have the protection of a husband, to be abused. So she's a, a wise, a wealthy, she's a businesswoman, she's tough. Luke also describes her as a God-fearer. Now, a God-fearer here means that was designated those for the Gentiles only. Uh, Gentiles are anyone that's not Jewish. And so that doesn't mean that she believed uh, in, in, in God right now, but she was religious. That's what it means. She was, she was religious. She, had, she was spiritual. That's why she was at this prayer group with a bunch of these supposedly Jewish women. And if she's running around with Jewish women, she probably has some morals to her, has a standard to uphold. She's probably conservative. So this is Lydia. So the question is, how does Lydia come to faith in Jesus? And we get that answer. She comes to faith by hearing the gospel at a prayer group, about a formal worship time, a a Bible study. She was at an intentional formal worship gathering where Paul comes, finds these women, he opens up the Bible, and he begins to proclaim the gospel to them. And she hears it. She believes it. She repents, and then she is baptized. And verse 14 kind of gives us a little insight to what happened to Lydia and her heart. And I love this verse because this I, I know the experience of this verse. I, I've experienced this verse. You, if you are in Christ, have experienced this verse. Look at me, verse 14. Then the Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that a great verse? The Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So again, Luke gives us insight into what happens to Lydia's heart, to my heart, to your heart, to anyone's heart who comes to Jesus. The Lord opens her heart. It's a first and foremost a gift of God. This word opens her heart uh, means to open your eyes, literally to open your eyes and see. And so for the first time where Lydia was religious and doing all these, um, you know, following the law and following these laws and upholding a moral standard, for the first time her eyes were open to the Christian faith, to the, the one who saves Jesus Christ. We call this regeneration. 
where God takes our, our, our heart that's hard and dark and He gives us a new heart. And when He does that, all of a sudden we're able to see and choose the Lord. When our hearts are regenerated, it causes us to do something. There's a response. It, it causes us to pay attention to what is being said. It causes us to pay attention to the gospel. This idea of pay attention means to, to hold on tightly to, to cleave to. Some, at times in the ancient, was used of addiction. She was uh, addicted to the Lord. Lydia couldn't get enough of the truth of the gospel. She had to have it. She craved it. It consumed her soul. Now, what we just described about Lydia, think about your life. Can any of you resonate with Lydia? Do any of those characteristics remind you of yourself? Now, obviously, I don't mean that you're a woman from Thyatira, right, who lived in Philippi, but you share some of the same background, some of the same characteristics with Lydia. Even the men in here can describe you as well. Uh, you're successful. You're, you're smart. You were spiritual. You believed in the higher power. You had morals. You had some integrity. You hung around church. You you went to church. You you went to Bible studies. You went to life groups. You did you know the ladies of the cross. And you did the moms group. And then all of a sudden, one day, something just clicked. Your eyes were open, and all of a sudden, you couldn't get enough of the Lord and the gospel. For many of you in here, or for some of you in here, you're like, yeah, that's that's generally my story. I can resonate with Lydia. Now think about some of your friends who might be in this group that, 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 that might be characterized by someone like Lydia. How do, how do, you, how do you engage them? How are you a, a good ambassador so the Lord might use you to open up their eyes? Well, you invite them. You invite them to church. You invite them to life group or, or the, the mom study or, or man score, TLC. You invite them. An open invitation. Hey, come. And that you pray. You pray also that the Lord might open their eyes. Now, for some of us say resonate again, that's, that's me. For some of you are like, that, that ain't me. That there, there's nothing there that resonates there. So let's go to type number two. Type number two, we see it's a, it's a slave girl in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Paul says, as we are going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Man, she was possessed and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. So we get the scene, right? Paul is going back and forth from this place in town, proclaiming the gospel. And there's this annoying little voice that keeps following them around. They can't get rid of her. And she's a, this possessed slave girl. And what we see is she's crying out. And what she's saying is right, right? Look what she's saying. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's right. I mean, you think probably like, okay, well, even though she's annoying, at least what she's saying is good, so we should keep her around. But that's not the case at all. Verse 18, uh, verse 18 says this, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out over that hour. Don't you love Paul Spart? I love I got Kurt Bears listening. He got a, he got a response. That's pretty funny. Paul, I, I love the honesty. The scripture doesn't sugarcoat emotions. Paul was fired up. He was frustrated. He was, um, what's the word here? Worked up, ticked off, fired up. He was greatly annoyed because he didn't want uh, to be associated. He didn't want this message to be associated to this annoying little demon possessed girl. 
Paul was fired up. He was greatly annoyed. What, what annoys you in life? What, 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 what greatly annoys you in life? I looked up uh, top 10 annoying sounds. Time magazine says this, and I was glad because the first thing I think of of annoying is that scene in Dumber Dumber, right? Dumb and Dumber, where Jim Carrey says, what's the most annoying thing? He goes, ah! He just yells at that guy's ear, right? Guys, that's annoying, right? So to me, Jim Carrey in the movie Dumb and Dumber is annoying, and him outside the movie is also is, is, is pretty annoying to me right now. All right? But here are some other ones. Snoring. Snoring? Anyone? Snoring? I allegedly have a snoring problem, my wife tells me. Uh, that annoys her so much that she actually has to go and sleep in another room, right? A little insight to the Santinis. We're all being honest here. Uh, nails on a chalkboard. Annoying. Gilbert Gutfeld. I don't know how he got on there. Is annoying. Right? What, 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 what was annoying Paul was this little girl just behind him yelling these truths. Now at this point where Paul turns and it says, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the, and the demon came out of her. Most commentaries, most of the pastors, most scholars believe at this point that Paul also proclaimed the gospel to her. That's why she was healed. That's why she was saved. She was literally ransomed from her handlers. Not only uh, spiritually from the demon, but also um, physically from um, her handlers who were making money off her. But Luke doesn't... Um, doesn't really record that, but it gives us an insight in Acts chapter 16, 18, where it says this, but when her owners saw that the hope of gain was, was gone, that they couldn't make money off this little girl anymore. Um, she was freed. She was ransomed. God got a hold of her art and, and opened up her, her eyes to the things of Jesus. And when we see in Scripture, when that happens, when someone is free from possession over and over in Scripture, especially like in, in verses like in Mark 5, 21, it says that people get into their right mind. And that's what happened to this little girl. She, she got into her right mind. Um, I have a good missionary friend who was uh, in the high country in Tibet, and, and he was traveling, or heard the story of traveling with this nomadic Tibetan tribe. And, and, and as they would go to these places, this family would have to chain up the father of the, the patriarch of the clan because he was possessed. He would just go nuts. And so there's a certain radius where he could only go and chained up because anything that he would get his hands on, he would try and destroy. He would try and kill. And it wasn't all the time, it was just every now and then he would snap into this thing. And you could just see the angst on his face. And they got all the spiritual gurus to come and they did chants over him. They did all the, you know, whatever wonder potions to, to, to try and get this guy healed. And then all of a sudden a, a Christian missionary came and, and came in contact with this tribe and, and shared the gospel with this gentleman and with the whole family. And immediately the father was transformed. Uh, he repented and trusted and his, his eyes were open to the Savior and he got into his right mind. He, he didn't have to be chained up anymore. He was free. You could see the countenance on his face, the love, the joy. The people around said, Father, Papa is back. This is what happened to this little girl. She was saved. She was ransomed. Now, some of us in here can identify with Lydia. Some of us in here can identify with this slave girl this morning. And men as well. And again, here you, you might have been uh, 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 in human trafficking. You might have 
been saved from some handlers who used you in a number of different ways. We've had some, some, some individuals that come through the crossing who this kind of described their story and the human trafficking that is so prevalent in our culture. But let me dive in a little bit deeper to, to expand on the category, and this is this, is that maybe you are a slave to a certain sin. Uh, maybe it wasn't a, a, a human slave with a human master, but we know that sin, Scripture talks about as, as a slave master. And maybe it was something that ruled over your heart, uh, physically, psychologically, such as alcohol, drugs. Maybe it was sex. Maybe it's success, work. These were your slave masters. These are the things that dictated your life. You, you couldn't live. You couldn't move. You couldn't function if you weren't high or buzzed. If you weren't in a physical relationship, if you, if you weren't meeting the bottom line, your, your whole world was revolved around this sin. You were abused and taken advantage of, exploited by dealers, bosses, others. And it was here in this dark place that the gospel broke in. It opened up the eyes of your heart so you could see your freedom. You could see the one who ransomed you, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for your sin. And saved you. Jesus stepped into your life and ransomed you. He set you free. Does that describe you, possibly, as you look at your life in Christ? And how did Paul bring the gospel to the slave girl? It wasn't through a, a formal Bible study. It wasn't a prayer group. It wasn't a life group. It wasn't a church group. It was informal. It was, it was outside the church. It was as he was going. It was, it was life on life. There was a spontaneous moment that came up, and he entered into that and opened his mouth and shared the gospel, a spur-of-the-moment situation. How many of you can identify with the slave girl? How many of you might have friends right now that are this characterizes their life? There's something outside of Christ ruling their hearts, ruling their lives, and it's not good. It's leading them to destruction. How can you be a great ambassador to them? Well, you're a great ambassador by stepping into their circumstances. You're a great ambassador not by shunning them and cutting off all contact, but engaging them, entering into their lives, sharing truth with them, sharing the gospel with them, praying for them. And again, beseeching the Lord that He would use you as an instrument to hear the gospel. They would hear the gospel and they would use you to open up their eyes. So that's the the slave girl. And we come to the third type. We see it's the, the jailer, the jailer. Acts 16.25. We see that Paul gets arrested because all uh, of what they just did, they freed a slave girl physically and spiritually from their handlers, from their oppressors. And the whole city got upset by that and they threw him into jail. So Paul and his crew is in jail. And in verse sixteen, uh, chapter 16, verse 25, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is kind of a parenthesis. I don't want to skip over this verse. I'm skipping over some of the stuff in here. But I don't want to skip over this one because this is an incredible verse. Paul and his crew are in prison for proclaiming God. This isn't a nice prison. They don't have clean cells. They're at the heart of the prison, chained. It's cold. It's dark. It's just a nasty place. And what we see here is in the midst of these circumstances, they are praying and worshiping God. Why? Why? How can this be? I think verse 25 gives us a little bit of an insight to that question. 
It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's a, that's a reason why. That's one of the reasons why. They were praying and singing to God because there were prisoners there listening to him. He, they had a captive audience, so to speak, right? They had other people in balls and chains. They couldn't run. They couldn't go anywhere. They had to listen to Paul and his crew. And Paul and them knew from experience in the past of being missionaries and being thrown in prison before that God has a plan for their life. This is a part of the plan for Paul and them from the Lord is to be at this spot in prison. They were not in jail by accident. The Lord wanted them to reach these prisoners. How else are these prisoners going to be reached with the gospel unless you put someone in the prison? And in particular, this warden that we'll see come to faith. This is why they were worshiping, because they saw it as an opportunity. They saw it as a sovereign God putting them in this place so that they could be used by God to be ambassadors to reach these individuals who needed Jesus so desperately. And I just pray that for you. I pray this for me, that our faith, that we have a a, a faith like this, a confidence like this, when we know when we're facing difficult circumstances, when we are uh, seen in, in unjust circumstances that the Lord gives us, that we would, that we'd worship, that we'd be able to be an ambassador, that we'd be able to sing praises to God in hymns. Why? Because we know that people are watching. Our classmates, our co-workers, our family members, maybe even our own kids, that they are watching like, you go to church, you believe in Jesus, you talk about this all the time. You really believe this as they see you walk through this trial. I pray that this kind of faith and this kind of confidence describes you and it describes me. And this is something that can only come from the Holy Spirit, that can only come from the Lord, that can only come from Christ himself. You see, sometimes in difficult circumstances, Christ will immediately save us from suffering. There are other times where he'll allow us to suffer a little bit, then take us right out. But there's also times where he'll cause us to suffer and give us the strength to walk through that suffering. Why? Because people are listening to you. They're watching you. They're watching your witness in the power of the gospel. I've shared this before, but this happened with uh, my mom's passing on Christmas Eve that my wife Rita wasn't a Christian then. And she said, oh, in her mind, she's like, Aaron, the only reason why you guys believe is because nothing bad ever happens to you. You guys, your life is perfect. And of course, it wasn't perfect. But then when my mom passed away, she, she saw something. The Lord gave us, I believe, gave us this trial as a family so that he could bring my wife to Christ. And not only my wife to Christ, but also my dad, who then remarried, she came to Christ because of this event as well. My wife would say, again, the only reason why you have peace is because your life is perfect. But when she saw the most darkest time of my life, she saw the Lord working through me. She saw me able to to worship the Lord and thank the Lord through this difficult time. And she said that that she wanted that peace because on her best day as a non-believer, she didn't have that peace on her best day. But she saw that we had it on our worst day. This is why they're in prison. There are probably some of you in right now are going through some difficult seasons. 
Some unjust circumstances have flooded your life. And and just maybe, I'm not saying this is why, but just maybe the Lord is is using this in your life to to minister to those around you. Maybe there's people that need to know Jesus, need to have their eyes open. And the way that they're going to have their eyes open is by watching you walk through this difficult time. So kind of just a little, little parenthesis there. Verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were, were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And again, here we come to the third conversion story, the, the Philippian jailer. He's, he's radically different than Lydia and the slave girl. First, he's a man, right? So we see both men and women gender here. God saves both, but he's a, he's a man. Here's a little bit of his bio. He was a, a warden of this prison system. And very common what the, the wardens were, what they did before, they were ex-military. Uh, they were, they were, they were, they were soldiers who were highly decorated. So they were kind of, when they retired, they were given the opportunity to come and work in the, in the civilian world to oversee the prisons. And so this is where we find this jailer. He's a, he's an ex-soldier. And, and Philippi was also known as a, as a place of retirement for ex-soldiers. So there's a, there would have been a lot of these guys here. So this guy got the job. So he was a highly decorated officer. He probably seen and, and, and did some pretty horrific things in his life to people. And that kind of carried over. We see the, the beatings of prison and Paul and persecution of Paul. Maybe he had some PTSD issues as well. Um, he was a middle class guy where Lydia was wealthy and uh, the slave girl was poor. Here he's kind of a middle class guy. He's not wealthy. He's not poor. And in some weird way, he has honor. Uh, back then, if, if you couldn't do your job as a warden, if any prisoner escaped, the, the warden would kill himself. And so we see that he has some honor. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he thought everyone left, so he's going to kill himself. So, so he has this way of, 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 of honor, this, 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 this way of going about his life. And he's probably not religious. He's probably irreligious. He's, he's probably indifferent. He doesn't believe in any higher power. He believes in what he can do, what his sword can do. He believes that he controls his own life and his own abilities. This is, this is the warden. So how does God save him? How does God use Paul to open up the warden's eyes? He does it through an act of grace. He does it through an act of grace. Through Paul... And his, and his crew, they don't, they don't leave, but they think of the jailer more important than their own needs. See, they, the, the earthquake opened, the, the chains were dropped, the, the jails were open. They could have just left. They were free to go. But Paul and them sacrificed their own freedom so that this jailer would not kill himself. They sacrificed their own lives so this guy could live. Verse 28, Paul says, cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. They show this, this, this guy grace. Again, they thought of him more important than their own freedoms. So they stayed around to minister so this jailer would not kill himself. And look at the jailer's response. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and his team gives them a concise answer. They say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And they took him at the same hour that night to wash their wounds. And they was baptized and was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. How did this jailer, how did this hardened soldier, ex-soldier come to Jesus? How did how his heart was softened? By an act of grace. By an act of mercy. It's here where the gospel reached into the darkness of this Philippian jailer and brought life and light and salvation to him. How many of you can resonate with the jailer? How many of you can resonate with the characteristics? Uh, indifferent, irreligious, not religious. You could take it or leave it. Uh, you are more of a practical approach to life. I believe what I see. I believe what I can do. I make my own fill in the blank. Not rich, not poor, you're middle class. You have a desire to live with honor and carry up a good reputation in the city, but also you have this other side of you that's pretty dark and nasty that you do crazy things. But someone came and showed you grace. Someone came and, and showed you an act of mercy. They, they sacrificed their own well-being. They sacrificed their lifestyle so that they could come and serve you. And in that moment, you're like, why in the world would you ever do that for me? Maybe that describes some of you in here. Or who in your life, who in your life that you could be a good ambassador to this week? Someone that doesn't deserve your favor. Someone that doesn't deserve your support. Someone doesn't deserve maybe your, your financial help or whatever it may be. That you go above and beyond and sacrifice your well-being so that they can be free. So that they could hear about Jesus. So they could be taken care of. How, who in your life could you do that to? To be kind and show an act of grace, an act of mercy. Because Christ showed the greatest grace and mercy for everyone in here. By saying His Son to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. He didn't have to do that. But He did. Why? Because He's a gracious God. And we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and the ability to do the same, to extend that grace to others because it's been extended to us. So maybe does, does that describe your life, your characteristics, who you were, your background? I think there's a fourth category, and it's not in the book of Acts. It kind of combines all three of these. We'll, we'll just call it the mutt Christian, right? This is where I kind of resonate. I look at Lydia, I look at the slave girl, and I look at the jailer, and I go like, yep, that's me. I, I shared a little characteristics of, of all three of them that describe my life, which again goes to the point that there's no Christian type. Gospel grace goes to anyone. And so look at your life and, and see who you resonate with. Thank the Lord first and foremost for the, for the Lord opening up your eyes and now understand that, man, when the Lord opened up your eyes, you had this desire, almost like this an addiction to respond to it. You couldn't get enough of Christ and how He's changed your life for the better. Not to say you don't have tough times, but you see the trajectory of your life as a blessing and peace and love and hope and grace and you see Him moving. Why wouldn't you want to share that with those in your circle of life that are slaves to sin? 
Let me just end with this. One final observation about the gospel conversions we see in Acts chapter 16, but also in our day. In our day, that happens now. And it's simply this, that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. No one is exempt from the gospel. Everyone. No one is so far removed or done so many heinous or hideous things from the gospel, from Jesus, that can't hear the gospel. It's for everyone. And we were once those people, and now we have friends and, and co-workers and, 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 and students that we share classrooms with that are, that are in those boats. And we are the ones that the Lord has put to be the ambassadors, to share the good news of Jesus. Again, we just looked at these first converts of the first church in Europe, and let me just kind of go overview of, of who makes up the church, this first church. Again, Lydia, she was probably Middle Eastern, again from Thyatira. She's wealthy. She's an older businesswoman. She's religious. You have the slave girl. She, the slave girl could have been from anywhere. We don't know where the slave girl's from. She's a young girl. She's, she's poor. She's possessed. We have the warden, this Roman, this Gentile, this male, this soldier, middle class, indifferent to religion. Then you have this guy, Paul. Paul's this little Jewish church planter, not rich or not poor. Then you have Luke who's with him, who's a, who's a Gentile and who's a doctor. Uh, these are the people that make up the first church in Europe. I mean, outside of the gospel and outside of Jesus, there's no way this group of people gets together on a consistent basis, right? It just doesn't happen. And it's the same in this room. It's the same truth in this room, that we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. And outside of Jesus, we wouldn't be coming here regularly to meet, sing, fellowship, not only on Sundays, but then throughout our week, make it intentional to go hang out with one another. I mean, there might be pockets of us here and there, but most of us wouldn't be hanging. We wouldn't be hanging. But because of Jesus, we come, we worship, we fellowship. We serve and, and love and extend grace to one another. It's true of this room as well, just as it was true of Acts chapter 16. And that goes to the, the, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, that our eyes have been opened to see the Savior. We are all now citizens of heaven that we talked about last week. I remember early on, uh, many of you guys might remember a, a gentleman that used to come to the church, Chevis, Chevis Balloon. Some of you guys might remember him. Pretty outspoken man, right? If you guys remember Chevis. Chevis uh, moved away a couple years ago to join a kind of a church plant in Grand Junction. Got, got the vision and passion for people. And he picked up his whole family and moved to, to the Grand Junction area. I'm sorry, Durango, Durango, the Durango area. And, and Chevis, in the first month when he started coming to the crossing, this is what he said to me. He said, Aaron, I wouldn't like you or come to the crossing if it wasn't for Jesus. A real encouraging guy he was. And this is his reason. He said, because I hated baseball players. Right? I don't know, maybe he couldn't hit the curveball. It's not my fault. You know, it's his fault, right? <laughs> but, but, but we wouldn't naturally have hung together. But because of Jesus, we shared, I don't know, six years of great fellowship. Uh, serving one another, loving on one another, learning from one another, sharpening one another. This is the church. This is us. It happened in, 
in Acts chapter 16 where the Spirit moves and, and Paul wants to go east to Asia. He says, no, you're going to Europe and you're going to start your first church. And you get this hodgepodge group of people. So the year 2019, the crossing could talk about this. And some of us are going to resonate on how the Spirit works in our lives and then spreads that out to our circles of influence. There's an there's a early first century Jewish prayer that the men would say. Only Jewish men would say. And this was their prayer. God, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That was their prayer. And as we look around, guess what Christ's church is made up of here? Women, Gentiles, and slaves. And praise the Lord, right? And here's the deal. In 2019, we as Christ's ambassadors have a mission to go share the good news of Jesus. Because there's people that need to hear his message. There's people that the Lord's going to use you to open up the eyes of their heart. They're going to come to Christ and become a child of the King. He's going to grow this body through you and through me. He did that in Acts and Philippi in the first church. And he still continues to do that today. So let's, let's look as we in start 2019. That's what I like to ask you guys to do. It's just to write down a list of people in your life that you come in contact on a daily basis who don't know Jesus. And I want you to write down their names, and I want you to share them with individuals in your life groups, in your journey groups, and start to pray. Start to pray for them. And, and have, have individuals in your group say, hey, how, how can I pray for you ministering to so-and-so? Are, are, you know, are they at Lydia? Do we need to kind of invite them to church? Do we need to invite them? Are they a slave to a sin? Do we need to engage them with the gospel and other things and serve them? Do we need to show some people some act of grace? And sit back and watch what the Lord does with you and, and, and the people that you're around, how he might use you to influence others for Jesus this year. This is going to be part of the mission that we're going to be rolling out here in the next couple weeks. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to get on it because this is something that has been going on since the beginning of the church. And this is the way in which the Lord will grow His kingdom. He uses us to reach every individual, no matter what their background or circumstances, with the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this great little section. Well, I know it's just me just restudying this and going through it. I'm just reminded of the characteristics on how I can relate to Lydia, the slave girl, this Gentile jailer. And then your mercy and the greatest act of grace because of your son Jesus, we can know you and become a child of the King. And Lord, I pray that each one in here, again, first, if there's someone in here that hasn't bowed their knee and they resonated with one of these people and they see, I pray that you would open their eyes that today would be the day that they would see you as their Savior and Lord. And only the only one that can save them from their plight. And for those of us that have, Lord, may we first worship you. Thank you for saving us. And then look into our circles of influence to see others that you would would use us as ambassadors to, to draw them near to Christ through word and deed and sharing the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.